And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. The next thing on my list here to talk about was Sandy Koufax. Yeah, what a guy. What a, what a guy. <laughs> uh, Patrick, greatest pitcher of all time or no? No. Okay. I, I, <laughs> uh, I just took the air. All right, no, let's move on. No, right, well, then, I, uh, <laughs> truth be told, I, I was never uh, a big Sandy Koufax fan. I, I think, you know, the stories of you know, what he's done on the field are not quite as electric as other guys, right? Like he wasn't a character. He's just a good person overall, you know, and, and hearing his words, I, of course, I've, I've seen this documentary before, but you know, I, I must've been bored or I must've tuned out mentally hearing him at his press conference, you know, and, and, and talking about the quality of life essentially for, for a person like, it's not about how much money you make and it's it's not about you know the success you might have in your career it's about you know just feeling good on a moment to moment basis and not being drugged up or shot full of cortisone like what is cortisone what is this what is this going to do to me am i going to be able to lift my arm over my head which i think he presently wasn't really able to do at that time now i know he put up some staggering numbers a three time Cy Young Award winner, MVP in, in, in 63, um, but, you know, didn't have the longevity, didn't have a long career. Did pitch during, you know, a, a pitcher's era too. It was the finest of those guys, but did pitch during that pitcher's era. So I think, Well, and the Dodgers, you know, man, <laughs> should I say. Yeah. yeah he, 
there was just something that wasn't as glamorous maybe or quirky about him that that to me has made me want to kind of you know seek him out and learn more about him. I, I know what he did as as a Jewish man and sitting out of, of Yom Kippur in mm-hmm. some big and important games, and I and I applaud him for that. And I, and I think that's that's fantastic. He was, he was a man of his his word. You know, he he walked the walk in addition to talking that talk. And for that, I give him all the credit in the world. And he's he's a guy that I I know I need to brush up on more, and I should learn more about. But that's the reason why up to this point I've yet to to dive all in on Sandy Koufax. And I really liked him. I really, and I don't like the Dodgers, right? But the Dodgers and the Yankees played a lot, (laughs) but I really liked Sandy Koufax and I actually liked him better than Don Drysdale. And Don Drysdale was the golden boy, pretty boy, more character, right? Uh, You've always liked the quiet ones. The quiet ones. Oh, I know. They're a little scary sometimes, you know. No, uh, I thought, and at the, I kind of heard this at the time, and then I remember reading stuff later, because the two of them trying to negotiate together, and even though it didn't work, it, all of those steps helped promote to the next step, and I thought that that was pretty cool that they did that, and were on one of the premier teams at the time, right? Even though they say they gave pitchers every see, so I I would go back if I wanted to do something. Well, the Dodger pitchers had every possible um, edge they You're could get. You're going back and using the electronic <laughs> strike zone on 1962. She's, she wants the overlay. She I wants know. the Subaru strike zone on Sandy Koufax. Well, there was always that thing about their mound was just a little bit higher. And the, this was a, just a little this. And, you know, um, and it's, it's not a hitting park. It's a pitcher's park, right? Mm-hmm. Much more much more ground and foul territory allowing Mm-hmm. That, those are all facts. That's just that's just science. I mean, I don't Not feel sorry science. for the Dodgers that they haven't won a World Series since 1988. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, right. No, not at all. But, but I do you... think before we move on from Koufax, that uh, it's pretty damn impressive, no matter the era, that he threw a no hitter in each year from '62 to '65. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh wow well, that's pretty good yeah that's about as dominant a, a, as you can be and you know i was i thought it was a little cheeky in there when when again okrant the man in the red sweater was just kind of like oh yeah he was tipping his pitches you knew what was coming and it's like what was that really is that really true or you just yeah, that seemed overly simplified right that yeah, seemed a little so. urban legend like baseball history like Babe Ruth calling his shot kind of it, it was both complimentary to Koufax but very complimentary to himself like yeah I, yeah I knew what was coming I was 12 years old sitting in the stands at Dodger Stadium and I, I was calling out his pitches you know John <laughs> sure you were it's like come <laughs> on I thought that was that was funny that was good uh I did like the writer who said it was as if he'd thrown an Easter egg past them I just like that turn of phrase uh-huh I enjoyed that uh, all right, let's talk more New York baseball, but finally get away from the, <laughs> the damn Yankees. Yankees and talk about the lovable, losable, 
Mets. Uh, uh, how fun are these guys? If if uh, I, I tweeted out, and I really do think that it's just a great bit of solace that you can take that no matter how bad your ball club is, you're not the 60s Mets. Before 69, obviously, we'll get there. Right. But, uh, God, these teams were laughably bad. And people came out and watched them. <laughs> I would yep. all- they had fans. They had people going because they wanted to see baseball in their community, right? They did, yeah. It was it was back again in the polo grounds. It was finally polo grounds, yeah. National League baseball for the first time in, in five years. And you know, if I if I have to hit my fun fact quota on these podcasts, so I might as well slip another one in when I have the chance. Now I'm always surprised because I have a, a large part of my family that are Mets fans. So I, and I, I feel for Mets fans. I really do because they have, they have gotten the short end of the stick with so many things, but um, I'm always surprised how many Mets fans don't know why their colors are orange and blue. And the answer is simply because before the Mets, the two teams in the national league that played ball in New York were the black and orange New York Giants and the white and blue uh, Brooklyn Dodgers. So they took the blue from the Dodgers, the orange from the Giants, and there you go. That's where those colors came from. I never knew that. I didn't know that either. We're learning things. Look at us learning stuff (laughs) on the pond, Mom. I like it. I like (laughs) it. Look at us. There's so much baseball trivia you can never learn all of it, but I'm willing to try I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the they the were, Casey uh, Stengel quote of the Mets existence, probably maybe even still to this day, when he said, "I've been in this game for a hundred years, <laughs> and I found ways to lose I never knew existed before." <laughs> <laughs> and he was the first manager, right? Casey Stengel. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's I right. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yogi Who had also been managing. with the Yankees. Yeah, that's right. Gil Hodges was. Uh, uh, I think he came. He was the one who came right after Stengel. Uh, I could be wrong, but um, uh, I, I love the I love the Richie Ashburn story about you know learning how to speak Spanish and say you know I've got it in Spanish. Yo la tengo, yo la tengo. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you know it ended up being the left fielder that you know took him out who spoke English. Uh, but there's actually a, a <laughs> Drew. You'll you'll like this. Maybe you've even heard of the band. Yola Tango, but there's a is an indie band from from the '90s and 2000s, and and they took their name Yola Tango from um, this this story of the Mets. I didn't know that. I'll have that to look is them very up. Very cool, very. And Marv Throneberry, my my favorite fact about him, oh, he's, dear. <laughs> he's he's again one of <laughs> he's again just one of those figures that if you're not if you didn't grow up a Mets fan, he's just. I mean, I, I don't know who he'd be equivalent. He's he was he was less than any of the Blake Street Bombers. I think most Rockies fans know who those guys are. But if you want to say like Mike Lansing, and you're like, oh yeah, I remember him. He played in the early days of the Rockies. Sure, you yeah. could say Marv Thronberry was like that. He was their best player, but he wasn't very good. Uh, the fun fact about Marv <laughs> Thronberry was that his initials, and he remains the only player for this. This is true. His initials were was M E T. Marv Eugene <laughs> Throwberry. So, so M E T was a Met. 
Uh, I love that. That's a good another fun. You can't one. make this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things you just can't make up. And so, uh, yeah, then the, the kind of end of the rest of my notes, I should say here, are just a list of phenomenal baseball players that come into their own uh, during this decade. And the first one I've got on my list is another one that's uh, we've talked kind of around and about a little bit, uh, but it's Pete Rose because we, we can't stay away from controversy. Now, no controversy yet in right. his story. Um, He's just a young guy playing so, hard right now. And yeah. What, what we uh, saw. I love the story, though, and that you got to have the crossover. Again, it, it almost just – it's the Stan Mutual story that Patrick told earlier. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The Stan Mutual story. Um, and then you've got this one where Mickey Mantle gets to talk about uh, hitting the ball way over his head and then him going up and thinking he could somehow rob it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, kid, maybe calm down. And then calling him Charlie Hustle as a joke on him, as a put yeah. down, and him taking it. He adopted uh, it. Yeah. He lived it. He yeah. breathed it, and he still does. Yeah, exactly. That's part, that's part of that's part of Mantle's legend is that you know he actually gave Pete Rose his nickname. And another thing that I I wasn't sure if they were going to mention it at all, but at all, but when they showed the Astrodome, you know, for you know, Houston uh, uh, talking about playing ball indoors was that the first home run ever hit at the Astrodome was actually Mickey Mantle. Um, it oh, really? Exhibition game. Yeah. I didn't know that one either. Wow. And I have been to the Astrodome once. Mm. Yeah. Kind of weird. Well, before, before Drew, you get to the, the players that were kind of t- talked about a little bit. There was one player absent from this section and ghost player. I like it. And there was, and he was also absent in the fifties. I thought maybe perhaps. So there's a, there's about a 2% chance he was referenced as, Hey, he started his career, but I'm, but I'm pretty sure they missed him. And I go, that's okay. That's okay. They're going to touch on him in the eighth inning because he played predominantly during the sixties and he was not mentioned once. And that is the great Al Kaline. Oh. And I think, it, uh, and I think it, and I think it fitting that although, you know, he was missed in this inning, maybe, maybe he's referenced in the next one, talking about his career ending. But uh, there's a good so. chance it, he probably won't be. But I figured now would be a good time to talk about uh, just to spend a minute or two on on the great Detroit Tiger outfielder Al Kaline, finished with three thousand seven hits. One home run shy of 400 home runs at 399, batted 297 for his career. Did win a World Series ring in 1968 with the Tigers, and um, you know goes down according to Jay Jaffe's Hall of Fame ranking system as the seventh greatest right fielder of all time. Oh, you know, wow. just behind usual Mel Ott, Frank Robinson, Roberto Clemente, just ahead of. Reggie Jackson, Larry Walker, Paul Wayner, Sam Crawford, uh, and Tony Gwynn. No. Thoughts on Al Kaline? I know he's got a important place in the Creaseman family. Yeah, he was he was dad's favorite. He was sort of uh, 
as you put it, he was Larry Walker before Larry Walker. He could yeah. do all of the things. He could field. He could throw. He could hit. He could hit for power. He could run the bases. He played smart. Um, he didn't take himself too seriously. Um, yeah, it, it was the kind of player dad told me to to model my game after and kind of the way I try to model, you know, the the podcast and my coverage of baseball and the way I think about baseball and it's in its completeness. Um, a complete ball player. And yeah, I, I hope they talk about him a little bit in the next inning. That'd be nice. Yeah, he, he unfortunately did just pass away on Monday at the age of 85. And some fun facts that came up. I get I get emails that has that have all kinds of useless piece of information, but to me it's not trivial. It's it's important and and there were some interesting things that came out of that is that uh, he Kaline was the first player inducted to the Hall of Fame that ever had come to bat as a designated hitter. Which I thought was interesting. <laughs> oh, um, in interesting! Just, I, I yeah. never heard. I never heard that. That's a. That's like a, such a good trivia question. Of like, all right, who oh, yeah. was the first guy who was DH for even one game? That's a great one. Um, Again, and, and super ironic because he was right. such a good, well-rounded player. So it was probably at the end of his career when nobody's well-rounded anymore. Bingo. <laughs> Yeah, seventy three uh, but- was the first year of the DH, and he played seventy three and seventy four. So, yeah, actually seventy four, he played exclusively as a DH. It looks like, um, wow. but in, in only a second full year as a player, he led the league in the American League in, in bases, hits, batting average, uh, and in fact, it made him the youngest uh, batting uh, champion in history. He was only, um, I don't actually have his age here. I think he was oh, he's twenty years old, so he actually beat Ty Cobb's record. He was the wow. youngest batting champ uh, out of anybody. Played more games as a Detroit Tiger than Ty Cobb. Uh, never won um, MVP, but he finished second twice. He finished in the top five four times, top ten nine times, and received at least one MVP vote in astounding 14 times. That's amazing. Wow. Detroit general manager Jim Campbell at the time said that he would consider trading out K-Line to the San Francisco Giants, but only if the offer included Mays. Juan Marichal and Orlando Cepeda in return, all three Hall of Famers. So. Oh, was that all? And finally, all and I, I think, and finally, I think Drew, maybe your tune has changed a little on Ted Williams. He had his moments. We we know he we know yeah. he was he was, yeah. was an ass, but the he final had a good piece, episode. <laughs> he did, and and so I'll leave this final piece for you. Uh, it says that much of Kaline's approach to the game was actually based upon ten minutes at the age of eighteen when Ted Williams shared some of his batting advice on fundamentals with him. Yeah. That sounds correct. And Ted Williams was by most accounts, much nicer to younger ball players than he was to fans of media (laughs) because of various, various reasons. (laughs) And, uh, and he did mellow some in his later years after playing a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so the next player on the list is Frank Robinson. Mm. All-time great player, great manager. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the, the great people ever in the game. 
And uh, like you said, it was pretty weird to see uh, the Orioles as this powerhouse behind a pair of Robinsons, Frank and Brooks. Uh, of course, the second best third baseman of all time. Uh, really, <laughs> just really quality stuff from these guys here. Uh, but Patrick, I know that, um, uh, well, you tweeted out that uh, Ian Desmond wears the number 20 in honor of Frank Robinson. Uh, it's something we've talked to him about before. Uh, he, they, they got to uh, work together, I suppose, uh, when he was a member of the Nationals. Uh, but just what a what a ball player and and mind for the game Frank Robinson was. He really was. He you know he he used his anger in in a positive way too. Basically being you know traded uh, at the age of thirty, being told ah you've got nothing left, and then he goes out and wins an MVP. The first such player to to win in both leagues, just had a, a fantastic career. Five hundred eighty six career homers, just finished short of batting three hundred uh, for his career. I mentioned on the last episode, uh, referring to how you know there was going to be more Frank Robinson in this one that he was the first African American manager um, in in the game. He was actually a player manager with Cleveland at the time, and one one of the last really uh, in in the mid seventies. And, you know, was just, just a great guy. He was just a, a baseball lifer, you know, even up until the end. You know, he, he was tasked with managing the Montreal Expos when no one owned the Expos. Major League Baseball, for a period of time, owned the Expos and, and kind of sold them down the river a little bit where they were playing, you know, 40 games in, in Puerto Rico. And, you know, if, if they had to have a company man, in a sense, you know, manage the Expos and, and – you know, develop the future players of that generation, they, they chose Frank Robinson to be that guy. So he, what he's done for the game and, and what he's given to it, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think there's any way to really express exactly that. Cause it was, it was something special, no doubt. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, you, you, you're right. There's no way to express it, so I'm not <laughs> sure what, what else there is uh, to say on that. One of those guys, I wish I uh, I would have gotten the chance to meet, you know, in the in this game. And one of the one of the clips they showed of him was that slide, and I just wrote down what a slide he coming into home. <laughs> and I did I watch him play on TV and and while we were talking about it you talk about being a fan of one team one of the things my dad taught me was to to appreciate the opposition or to appreciate other players to to appreciate good play whatever because if you want to be the best you want to play against the best it isn't yeah, just right. I want to win the world series every year and and we bought our whole team and we are totally better than those other guys and so we win well no, you want other people to have good players and play against them and have real competition and want to win. You know, when people say you can't play a friend and play fairly, it's like, uh, I think brothers, I think good friends compete against each other just on the schoolyard or on the whatever as much as anybody. So that, yeah, you got to play against the best to be the best. Did, did mom just Quote Ric Flair. <laughs> it sounded like it. <laughs> Ric Flair. Was, oh no! To be the best, you gotta beat the best. Yeah, was, <laughs> okay. Yeah, there it was. There it was. She gave us some woo. All right. Well, I think, 
You missed it. You missed it in the last episode. I'm pretty sure she said Mickey Mantle was the greatest there there was, there is, and wherever will be. Uh, and ever will be, yeah. <laughs> yes, so. I did, and I'm right. And he looked great in pink too. He also looked great in pink and wrap around sunglasses. I would assume he would. Uh, I would. I, you would think would have you. And as would Bob Gibson, by the way. No, probably not oh, a big pink guy. Gibson. How about Bob, how about your boy? Bob Gibson was. I would assume there are people back to you walk up there and you'd be afraid, right? Uh, mm, because I'd be afraid. I wouldn't want to hit against him. And so, like they were talking about, he was always serious, hard-nosed. If you were too close on the plate, he's going to hit you because it's his plate, right? He's not going to back off. He knows he's there. But at Kurt Flood said he could throw a ball through a brick wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He played with the Harlem Globetrotters, which is, is a great fun fact that when they oh, said yeah. it, I'm like, damn it. I wanted to mention that. Ah. Oh. They got I to, didn't they got know that. Well, you, so uh, did you know that? So after he retired, and I don't remember how long after, and on the Andy Griffin show, which I didn't watch all the time, mm -hmm. but once in a while, he went fishing on the boat with Andy. And he smiled. Oh, no. <laughs> and he smiled. Oh. <laughs> yes. No. That's cool. Look, you look look up Bob Gibson, Andy Griffith show, and you're gonna find it just in the fishing hole, right? I did. I did end up looking up about uh, the incident where Clemente hit him with a line drive, and he didn't want to come out of the game, and found out that he he didn't like he did, but he pitched to three more batters after having his leg broken by a Clemente line drive. He walked two guys and he got a fly ball out. Now this was in that 67 season that they were talking about where oh, he dominated yeah. and through 27. So he missed eight weeks and then came back and in the world series, three wins, 27 innings pitch only gave up. That was the same runs. year that he broke his leg. Yes. He came back in eight weeks. And oh my gosh. Dominated. And in the three World Series that he did pitch in, in 64, 67, and 68, all three of them, he made three starts and threw 27 innings pitched. That's And he, and he didn't incredible. give up. He didn't give up any more than – well, no, he gave up a couple in, in his first go-around. But overall, in his 81 innings pitched, he had a 1.89 ERA in three World Series. Unbelievable. I wrote down seven That's World Series wins, all complete games. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. But, yeah. Wow. No. I knew it was unreal good. stuff. Struck out ninety-two. Struck out ninety-two. Goodness gracious! And he's a guy that, again, while he doesn't have huge numbers, he did get over the two hundred win mark, which Kofax did not. Um, you know, had had a great winning percentage. He's a guy that there are more of those colorful stories about. Right, and he's more like, oh, well, yeah, he could have played pro ball, but <laughs> he didn't like how goofy they were because he was that competitive and yeah, right. that much of a of a hard ass, and he threw at guys. So he's a guy that you could either love him for being a badass, or you could hate him. Uh -huh. Which, and, and you know, don't don't get it twisted. Love and hate are on the same end of the spectrum. It's feeling passionate about something, right? It, the the worst yeah, thing you want it is, is indifference. That means no one. That mean that means nobody even cares about you. People cared about Bob Gibson, whether he was on your team or he wasn't. And and 
Patrick Saunders, that's his that's his favorite player of all time. Really? Is that right? He has a good story cool. that he he to, I think he told it at the uh at the Denver uh, Press Club way back in January when we were hoping and discussing the 2020 season. Those were the days. Yeah. Uh, yeah but he, right. he has he has a good story uh, all about it. We'll, we'll have to tell another time or next time we have him on, talk about him actually getting to meet Bob Gibson in Cooperstown. It's a decent – it's a good story. It's a good story. Yeah. We'll have to <laughs> – yeah, we'll have to have him on and ask him that one. I've got two more names on my list. One of them is not a baseball person, but we're going to do baseball person next uh, and that was Earl Weaver. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the OG. Uh, does his record for ejection still stand, Patrick? Uh, does not. No, I... I New Pinella? Uh, you would think, right? I don't know if he's passed him or not, but Bobby Cox actually holds the record. Oh, he's got that's right. I was going to... Yeah. There's a good video that, that went up. Uh, I believe yesterday that John Boy put up with uh, Rocky's legend Drew Butera talking about Ron Gardenhire and how you know Gardy loved like getting thrown out of games. He's like, okay, today's the game. I'm going to go do it. And talking about how you do it to fire up the fans and fire up his team. But that being said, still Bobby Cox has you know the the most all time. But that's a that's a cool thing to to check out. So how long did Earl Weaver manage, and how long did Bobby Cox manage. If we're gonna, she she wants to break down the ejection stats. She wants I'm, ejections I'm per game. She, she still thinks his ejections <laughs> above replacement. Yeah, she's standing up for Earl right. Weaver here. His That's ejections right. above replacement have to be better. AA, it's the AAE average annual e- ejections. Oh, but keep in mind that, but there, there's a there's a science to it though, because if you could just go out and get ejected. You know, the first 40 games of a season, if you do that, uh-huh. you won't have a job anymore. So maybe Weaver had a, a higher average annual ejection ratio. Okay. But uh, Cox, has the, Cox has got the record. No, da- no doubt about yeah. it. The longevity. Weaver's the in the Hall, too. Both Weaver well, I and think- Bobby yeah, Cox are yeah, in the yeah. Hall of Fame, so that says That's something. That's right. That's right. Didn't Earl Weaver then set the standard for Bobby Cox to know when to get thrown out of a game to prompt your team to, you know, fire them up and all of that? Earl Weaver was undoubtedly the Babe Ruth of managerial ejections. <laughs> <laughs> and Bobby Cox is merely the Roger Maris. Roger Maris. <laughs> Put an asterisk next to that Bobby Cox record. That's right. That's right. And more games. <laughs> and, and, and you mentioned Lou Pinella, honorable mention, right? Uh, That's right. Much, I, I threw his name out there. You, you got, maybe did it with as much style as as anybody ever. You know, you gotta. That's Billy more of the Martin, Ken Griffey Jr. Billy Martin kicked <laughs> dirt over the bag, and yeah, it's like well, we'll get to Billy Martin. Uh, let's later. not jump That's ahead later. of ourselves. There's okay, sorry. sorry. That's right. That's right. We're looking at a, a three-parter here, but I do want to talk about two more things before we wrap this one up. And then whatever other notes that y'all have got as I sip here on my Avalanche from Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, very enjoyable beer, I must say. Uh, I was having the Hot Peak IPA during the show, and now I'm having the Avalanche for the post-show podcast. So 
you know, kind of a different palette for you, but either one's going to be good. Uh, and you can get those 15-pack samplers delivered to you by our friends over at Drizzly. Uh, they're super awesome and amazing. And one of the things that having a Breckenridge brew can really help you do is study. I know this. It's true. It's just a fact of life. I know this firsthand. You get your Breckenridge brew. You crack open some books, or in this case, some online classes at MSU Denver, and you study. MSU Denver gets you a fantastic education at affordable cost, online programs taught by professors who bring real-world experience into the classroom. You can find them at msudenver.edu slash online. They've got over 40 hybrid programs and over 750 different classes, so check them out. Uh, if you're looking for a little something to do during this time, you think, hey, let's bump up that education so I'll be ready to attack the world once all of this stuff is passed. It's a great way to do it. It's super affordable. It's online, which, you know, our entire lives are online right now. They're set up to handle you. They're taking summer classes right now. So uh, check them out. Again, that is MSU Denver dot edu slash online all right few more things before we get out of here uh, i wanted to talk about the late the great the one and only not a baseball person but george carlin <laughs> who made uh, a fantastic appearance in this episode i thought you were going uh, with marvin miller yeah. i was i was all ready to talk about the first, you know, fifty pages I read of, of his book, a whole new ball game. But I want to do that too sometime. Yeah, we, but we need to do that whole discussion. Yes. <laughs> Baseball versus football. I think that's a it's a it's a fitting ending. Is one of my favorite comedic bit. I, I am a stand up comedy snob. I've, I tried my hand at stand up comedy and open mics. Oh wow! Uh, you know, anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. Is there from a video my, of that? Do you got? Is there? I hope not. It was in the. <laughs> I did do it where they at a time which they used to film those a bunch and you know I, I think I had I'd performed with like I performed I mean who am I kidding I, they would throw in like real comedians once in a while you know so like Big J Okerson was um, still you know doing shows in in Jersey in, in the mid two thousands Julian McCullough was a big one he had a couple stand up specials uh, and and again a few guys that I see from from time to time but I've tried it in Boulder as well a little bit you know, if I get bored in the summertime. I'll go up and, and have a couple minutes. It's it's fun, but I'm I'm a stand up comedy snob, and this is one of the finest comedy bits ever. It's it's fantastic. I agree. It, it, yeah. it craps all over baseball, and I don't care because I think it's, it's true. That's it's your, funny. I, I, I think yeah. The, I've I've never taken taken it. Taken it? Did I almost just say that? You I've did. never taken yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um, if, if something's true, it's it's fine. The 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 hardest I've I've really ever laughed is probably when my wife makes fun of me because it's like it's fair game and we just go back and forth and we just mock each other and she'll call me on my my crap and that's when it's the funniest and George Carlin calls baseball on its 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 crap and it's ah so good. That's so funny. It's just because that's never been my interpretation. Me I, I totally saw I love this it. indictment of. Football. Me too. I always thought it was a love letter to baseball and an indictment of yes. how militant and rigid and cool yes. football is. So I don't know if I'm just reading it wrong or, or no, I'm being biased. I, I agree. And yes. Well, I think he's mocking it. I don't think he's like saying like, well, football is the better sport. I, I don't think so. I, I think he's 
I think he's trying to be unbiased, but it's just funny the way he paints baseball, right? He's just mocking oh. how soft it is in comparison to football. And that's that's the that's the crap he's given it, right? But but ultimately I don't think he's he's totally destroying it, you know. But he, he does call it out for for some of these things. It's Right. And I could totally imagine. So someone from my perspective is seeing it and all these things he's saying about football. I'm like, yeah, it is. And it's so cold and it's so mean and violent and militaristic. But you can even hear people in the crowd who are clearly big football fans going, yeah, long bombs and short bullets and and hit, and, and so they probably interpret it. So I'm sure there are people who, like me, is like, no, this is a slam on football. And there are football fans going, yes. dude, what are you talking about? No. We do penetrate the defenses and have yeah. long bombs and short bullet passes. I bet you anything. No, it's I... it's, it's anti. It, baseball is the butt of the joke. Baseball is no, the funny part. No, 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 no the, Wow, really? I think the football the stuff is way wins. funnier. Well, I laugh. Sure. I laugh at baseball. The football stuff. I'm like, no, nah, that's true. That it. That is what it. Like, I don't. I don't find that to be funny. I don't think football people listen to that and go, "Oh man, we do make it all about war." They're like, "No, hell yeah, that is what it is." Like you you're, said, you're right. Cheering. They do. Where, they do. <laughs> right. But that's what's funny about it is that it is such it's a. That the football thing is so that way and the baseball thing is so much better. Yeah, I always, I always thought that that was his ultimate point was that there was something much more peaceful and and sort of wonderful uh, about the game of baseball, which is why I think it was included um, ultimately, especially, you know, his final bit, not to ruin it, but if you're listening to this, you've probably seen it. Pause and go watch it if you haven't. But at you this have point, to the, watch the, it. Yeah, uh, you, you've got to see it. But the whole thing about going home, uh, going you home. know, what he concludes on going home. It's like, so oh, some, that's, yeah. that's so, nice. So some Be of the highlights. Safe at home. Yeah. So some of the highlights is he says, baseball begins in the spring, the season of new life. Football begins in the fall when everything's dying. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. yeah. See how it's football. True. <laughs> all right. That's all right. That's that, that one. You're laughing. Okay. That definitely okay. Is a slam on football. I really do think for most of it, he's kind of slamming on the, the stringent kind of macho-ness yeah. of football. But, he, I, but he's, but he's also doing both, which well, is what any good comedian is going to do. He, he's making True. some fun of both, but he's liking football. baseball <laughs> and showing how militant football is, even in the minor aspects of it. And I say that as a football fan. <laughs> nice. In, in football, you wear a helmet. In baseball, right. you wear a cap. <laughs> you wear a cap. Football's yeah. concerned with downs. What down is it? Baseball's concerns with ups. Who's up? <laughs> yeah, who's up? Uh, that's, what, that's what it is. Uh, baseball has the seventh inning stretch. Football has the two-minute warning. Yeah, <laughs> right. The warning. And, and, and so, the, the last two. Go ahead, Barbara. No, go ahead. You go ahead, on George Collins. Oh. Uh, yeah, football is played in any kind of weather: rain, snow, sleet, hail, fog. In baseball, if it rains, we don't go out to play. <laughs> okay, that one's more of a dig on baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. 
All right, all right. I was going to say, one of the things I thought maybe Drew was going to take us back to that I don't think we did enough about was... Uh, sure. <laughs> well, we did a, we did some, and we started out that way. But the political time that this was in, because we didn't get into uh, the organization of the baseball players. I'm going to finish on Kurt Flood. I'm going to finish on Kurt Flood. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know you were going to do that. But what I was going to say was back to I was relating some of my time. Well, George Carlin performed at the University of Kansas. When I was a wow. freshman there, and that was all again part of that overall time. George uh, Carlin and Steve Martin, those were the two comics I saw live early in their careers that were doing those kinds of things, which was really fun and part of the whole cultural thing that was going on. Right. And George Carlin, actually, you know, as respected of a comedian as he is, and just, you know, I, I think comedians in a lot of ways are kind of our modern day theologians. Um, oh, and, yeah. And, and, um, and you know, he started out in one of the, he had a character. It was, it was what he was the hippy dippy weatherman. Hippie so dippy, like that was, yeah. and again, he was, he was mocking it. And, and ultimately that was, uh, I think he was, that was the voice that he was doing in the original, uh, Pixar film cars, which I think later uh-huh. Cheech Marin took over as the voice of the, of the VW bug, you know, that was the, the hippie car. Um, but yeah, Carlin, Carlin was all a part of that movement too. And, um, and as you said, just the way the way this this inning kind of you know wove in the music of that era, it was more noticeable for us because uh, maybe you said at the beginning of the of the episode, Drew, if maybe when we were off before we started recording, is just how you know the, the music before this inning was just different variations on "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" or the national anthem, or it would be you know Jolt and Joe DiMaggio, the these songs that were written for these players. And now this is music that that we know, and now we know the meaning behind it, the impetus for why you know this was written and and how rock and roll really came of age in the '60s to really kind of shake the system, and how society itself was shaken with the civil rights movement and what. And how that kind of transpired within baseball, along with, you know, players' rights within the game and and signing contracts and being these indentured servants. So um, this this one in and of itself, I, I think if you probably had to show one inning to, you know, someone who maybe wasn't a, a baseball fan or just you wanted to show them a good documentary, this this might have been might have been the one of the better ones, right? Yeah, there was plenty of baseball in it, but I think it told yeah. a really interesting story about our, our nation's, you know, history and kind of the, that, you know, to go back to it, that loss of innocence of the 60s. Yeah, I think, it, you know, it would be harder to take someone who's not a hardcore baseball fan and take them back to the first couple of innings and be like, watch this stuff about 1830 and some oh, people yeah. sitting down in a field and writing out <laughs> rules about rounders and cricket and, and be like, oh, whatever, man. Like, But this one's got like people in the streets fighting for their rights, uh, mm-hmm. getting fought back against. There's, you know, a war going on and someone fighting a war of his own the star of the episode, Kurt Flood, uh, and and the star of, of our hearts for for those of us uh, who care about uh, working people, really anyone who cares about people who work. And I thought, you know, his uh, he had a great quote about Marvin Miller, 
saying that maybe Marvin Miller was the greatest thing to happen to baseball. Uh, the man who would be, you know, the head of the players union and, you know, help fight for some of these things. Uh, and one of the, oh, who was, oh, it was Walter O'Malley. Yeah. Who uh, in the fight that uh, mom referred to earlier with Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale said, it's an old fashioned game with old fashioned traditions. And we still hear this crap to this day to defend all kinds of things that baseball does. Uh, and, and in defense of the reserve clause, it just makes you tear your hair out. What hair I've got left. And um, Kurt Flood, to, to take that fight um, when he was traded to the Phillies and say, you know, I should have at some point the right for all of the other teams to have to tell me what they think I'm worth. Because it was Marvin Miller's quote that really struck me the most with, you know, people talking about unfairness or exploitation was the word. And he said, exploitation is not somebody who gets paid a low wage. Exploitation is somebody who gets paid less than what they're worth. Hmm. And I think people still sometimes really struggle to understand that. And I think we all do at times because it can feel ridiculous that a person who plays shortstop or a person, let's, let's get real close to home, a person who plays third base and who sometimes goes to the media and complains when he's getting paid $33 million to play third base and hit a ball. Uh Um, but that's what he's worth. It's what he's worth to his team. It's what he's worth to his organization. He's probably worth more than that on a totally free and fair and open market if every team in baseball could just pay him whatever they wanted to. If he started uh, over to, every year and you bid on everybody, it'd be yeah. weird. Bet those things could happen. It would be very weird. What? A, yeah, wow. What an interesting concept. That was a very John Rawlsian concept. Uh, <laughs> what well, bringing the philosophy in? Mom. I like. Yeah. What if ever? What if at the end of every year? And of course, you know, certain rich teams would always have an advantage. Well, so it's a good thing it doesn't work this way. But yeah, absolutely. Or people got paid based on what they did last year. You know. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, I I think Patrick in the. Law on the long list of baseball heroes, Kurt Flood's in my top ten. You know, Jackie Robinson and Branch uh-huh. Rickey and some of these. These are top five guys. And you know, uh, I don't know if Kurt, Kurt Flood might even be a top five guy. But when the when the episode started out, they showed Jackie Robinson years retired there with people protesting and standing up for people, and also t- talked about what he supported and what he didn't based on his beliefs, right? And Branch Rickey quoting saying, we we all, human beings, all come from one place anthropomorphically. I think this will I be I got known. teary-eyed during the Branch Rickey speech. Wasn't, wasn't that I, good? I, yeah. And, and, yeah. And it was, so back to my, his time and then my time aside, yeah, I thought this was all said all the long time ago. It's only logical. It only makes sense. Yeah. This it it should be any 
and we still fight the fight and they still fight the fight. Uh, whether it's about color or just a human being having the equal right to a just existence. Your turn. <laughs> That's called a Patrick, mic drop in the business. I was going to say, Patrick, would you like to follow that? Uh. Yeah, I thought, you know, it was, it was fantastic the, the use of Curd Flood and, and Marvin Miller in this because now, you know, coincidentally, this is the year that Marvin Miller was finally acknowledged uh, by the Veterans Committee and entered into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He'll, he'll go in this this oh, summer really? whenever they finally have that. Yeah, he was <clears> with the <throat> Veterans Committee uh, in December along with Ted Simmons. And, you know, Marvin Miller very clearly deserves, you know, he's he's kind of in a class unto himself. You know, we talked about Rube Foster and um, Effa Manley getting in as executives of the game uh-huh. for what they did in the Negro Leagues and how we have managers and then we've got ball players, right? And we've even have owners, but they're they're considered like executives. What is Marvin Miller? What was his quote unquote position, right? Because he wasn't a player and he didn't represent the the clubs. He didn't represent the executives. He was somewhere in the middle and kind of didn't have this well-defined place and he still doesn't i i don't know what will you know go on on his plaque i'm I'm very interested to see what that is but in in the years since baseball has been you know uh available for for folks to watch uh courtesy of ken burns you know he's he's gotten the call to the hall and i think that eventually is what will happen for kurt flood because he was a key part of this that he sacrificed himself for the betterment of the union. He was only 31 years old when this trade went down to Philadelphia. And, and part of the reason which probably made it almost easy for him in a sense, uh, not, not to take anything away, but, but what made him say, wow, I definitely am going to put my foot down on this was because he got traded to uh, a city that wasn't very, you know, racially sensitive at the time. Philadelphia was actually the last national league team to integrate it was it was 1957. Let that sink in. Ten years. So, yeah, yeah. Twelve years after Jackie Robinson, the Phillies, after seeing all of the National League integrate, they finally did it in '57. And then two years later, Boston, they're the last overall team with with Pumpsy Green. So, he, he not only is his, is is he just being dealt away as if he doesn't have these rights, as if he's owned by the team, but he now has to go you know, into another, into another beehive and, and, and deal with that situation. So with, with still a lot more left to play and with a potential opportunity to even be a hall of famer, you know, he's got, he has good numbers, you know, only made three all-star teams, but you know, after that season, he had, he had just come off his seventh consecutive gold glove award. Think about that. Think about how we, how much we value those awards now, but it was his, his seven consecutive Gold See if glove. I can think of anyone who's ever won seven consecutive <laughs> and, and and had to make a choice to possibly step away oh, with right. his life on the line. I mean, think about Andrew right. McCutcheon. We right. I think Andrew McCutcheon still has a, a handful of, of, of really good seasons left, and possibly he's able to uh, accumulate a lot more statistics to kind of flesh out a Hall of Fame career. I, th- I think he's in the gray area on that. Well, 
Kurt Flood said, I don't even want that opportunity. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to lay, I'm going to, you know, put myself on the sword here. And he, he did that and he lost his court case. He didn't win. That's the other piece is that he lost. But because of that, because of, you know, putting himself out there and all of the lost wages that uh, he incurred because of it, that got the ball rolling and got it that much closer for, you know, Andy Messersmith and Catfish Hunter, guys later on in the 70s who finally broke through and were allowed to become the first class of free agents. And that's what I was starting to say earlier with it takes steps. And if nobody is willing to step up and take that step, even if you lose, like Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale in trying to negotiate as two people, uh, and Kurt Flood taking it another several steps further and going through that, that it doesn't happen all at once. Very few things do. You don't just win or lose. Uh, you you need to build and work on it and keep going. And then lots of times there's backsliding and you got to start over and keep working on it. Very much like baseball. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, you start the year. What did the, the Miracle Mets started the, the year Miracle with Mets. seven losses in, the, in their first 10 games? Oh, my God. That was horrible. Not seven out of what 10? they've done for the... Yeah, and that that's and that's on top of what they had done for the first eight uh-huh. years of the decade, you know. I and want you to know they, I was yelling for the Mets in that World Series. I was, I was, I was. I right? You were, of course. I believe yeah. I believe you were, and and I know the reason why. Because well, uh, there's a couple reasons, but you love a good story. Yep. You love the underdog. Absolutely. And the improbable, and you love baseball and and what baseball brings it it is that improbable i've told this story a couple of times and i love it and and it's in that um men in black three of all things but the great baseball film men in black three continue of course of course and there is an alien who can see like Uh, all kinds of probabilities and can see a little bit into the future and the past and like sees all these probabilities and talks about like trying to find a center or a space to stick in. And his favorite place to go to in history is 1969 and the New York Mets in one of the most improbable things that has ever happened. Um, and, and that it comes from the game of baseball and that he's so romantic about this. Like he talks about the probability uh, at this point in the season with X number of games and X number of teams and with everything they had done to that decade and winning percentages and, and all of the things that are going against them is like, this is a thing in human history that never, ever should have happened. If you played it out a million times in a simulation scenario, this happens one time. It's it, They do it in Endgame. Yeah. It, it yeah. was in... <laughs> The Avengers, right? It's Doctor Strange going into the future. And it's like, there's only one way we get out of this. And typically in baseball, what we see is the 15th percentile. I think you could even say like the Washington Nationals winning this last year was oh, yeah. unlikely. But still, I think if you played the season through 100 times, the Washington Nationals probably win the World Series 10 or 12 times. Uh, I think if you played... The 69 season 
a hundred times, the New York Mets win the World Series once, and that's the time we got. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that, that's precisely right. That, that's why you play the season. And again, uh, to drive home the idea, the the point that you definitely want to get into the DNVR lounge on on Discord for our members. But we talked about the probabilities going up for teams that right. don't look so great on paper if there's a 2020 season that's shortened. And teams that are great on paper, they actually, their odds now decrease because it's more of a crapshoot. If you're only playing 80 games, well, shoot, we, we, we see at the all-star break sometimes where there's right. teams that are improbably in first place or in the wild card spot. And you're like, well, you know, that's not going to last. And it usually doesn't. But you go, wow, that that team is showing a lot of potential, right? They might not have the depth, whatever it is. But if that happens, that that could be the case this season. You you just don't know. That's that's why you play the games. No. Unless it rains. Unless it rains. Unless it rains. <laughs> <laughs> but then you make it up later. Let's play two. Uh, you play yeah, you play weird. a double hitter next day, right? Oh, Ernie Banks. If, if they if they have uh, double headers uh, throughout the, an abbreviated twenty twenty season, and there's a rain out on the day before the double header, will they play a triple header? No, <laughs> no. But let's just pretend. Will they? We don't know. Let's do it. Come on. Well, give so, them thirty two man rosters. No, you're gonna get mom started on on forty people rosters yes, and yes. bring up all the triple A players. Well, yeah, we don't have, have time for all that. We, I, I I've been a, thinking we'll about that. Header. Yeah. If you if, have if to you play have, X number that. of games, <laughs> is that what they're saying? Forty games? No, stop it. We're not. No, no. Okay, I'm don't call, go there. Nope. I'm throwing yeah. the red flag. Okay. I'm throwing the red flag in the air. Okay. I'm cutting this conversation off. I'm ending the podcast because okay. we've we been go talking there. for a very long. Okay, time. that's right. Uh, though we could do a whole show about that if that's something that people think that they want to hear. Um, and actually, I'm sure that they would with you know, no baseball going on and we're going to wonder what the season's going to look like. But for now, we got to shut this thing down. Uh, this has been awesome. It's been a whole lot of fun talking about the eighth inning for what's going to end up being three episodes of the podcast. So thank you everyone who stuck with us through all of this. Uh, hopefully you're following everybody on social media. Hopefully you're subscribed to everything. And uh, as Patrick has mentioned a couple times, come check us out on the Discord. Check out DNVR Lounge. You can find a link to it there uh, for subscribers only. Just another reason to subscribe, to subscribe to DNVR. As you can tell, it's time for me to get on out of this thing. It's time for us to wrap this thing up. So for Patrick Lyons and my mother, Barbara Creaseman, I've been Drew Creaseman. You all have been absolutely awesome. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.